Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Saturday, June 17th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode one. This episode is something you may hear me talk about a lot if you follow me, and that is fertility awareness. So you may be a more educated audience than most, but for those that don't know, Fertility awareness is the act of charting your entire menstrual cycle, not just tracking your period. So every day you observe your three daily fertility signs to determine your fertility. This can be used to prevent pregnancy or to achieve it, which is one of the things that I really like about the method. Now, a lot of people I tell about this are floored and just completely flabbergasted that there's a scientific way to measure our fertility by ourselves with no help from doctors or pharmaceutical companies. So it's a very grassroots and from the ground up approach to fertility, which, as you guys know, I'm a farmer. So this sort of aligns with a lot of my other ideologies. So I'm creating this episode to talk about the basics about what I do every day and how I do it. And I've also thought about the three fertility signs, and I think it's wise to concentrate on just getting one down at a time until you feel comfortable with that sign and you feel comfortable with the cycle. And then the whole chart will start to come together once you tack on the second and third because they'll corroborate with one another. So it'll give you a really full picture of not just your fertility, but also your general health and vitality. Um, I learned things about my thyroid from this. Just the entire journey has been really humbling. So I really just want to go through the basics with you today of the three signs, and maybe it can help some beginners. As I've said, there are three primary fertility signs. The first is your cervical fluid, not discharge. We'll get to that on another episode. The second is waking body temperature. And the third is cervical position. Now, cervical position corroborates the first two. So sort of think about them in a hierarchy where waking body temperature and cervical fluid are the most important signs. And when that sign also lines up with your cervical position, you have a very full picture of whether you're fertile that day or not. But really, we're going to start with the cervical fluid here. So cervical fluid, obviously, If we're tracking our cycles, we know that our day one is considered the first day that we bleed, and we may bleed for three, five, seven days. After that, you dry up, you stop bleeding, and if you have ever taken note of this, your post-period cervical fluid is generally very dry. Um, there's always going to be a certain amount of fluid inside of the vagina because it, it, it is a place that produces fluid. However, what we're talking about is an actual observable fluid that, has, that is excreting from the vagina. So after your period, you're going to notice that your vagina is generally dry. You're going to need some coconut oil to have sex. Um, as estrogen rises over the next few days after your period, so now we're talking about days seven to nine in your cycle, you may notice a slight change. After that dryness, there will be sort of a stickier, uh, pastier, white cervical fluid that appears. It's not very wet. Some people 
you know, call it lotion-y. These terms are kind of tough, and as you track your cervical fluid, one, you'll notice the pattern. It'll become very obvious that there is a pattern, and it's not just this random discharge coming out of your body. Um, and then secondly, you'll create your own sort of makeup for when you're, when you have uh, fertile cervical fluid versus when you don't. So yours may not look like mine, but the importance is really to observe your whole cycle of dry to wet. So after you get this sort of creamy lotion-like fluid that starts showing up, um, you may see white strips in your underwear, uh, these types of fluids are not conducive to sperm survival. Um, so if you are having unprotected sex during that time in your cycle, you don't have the cervical fluid to support that sperm being able to make it five to seven more days until you are going to ovulate. So your dry days are generally your safe days in terms of birth control. If you're trying to conceive, these are not good days to try to have sex to conceive because the sperm cannot survive in the vaginal environment. So once we get towards ovulation in the middle of the month, you're going to see a bigger change in your fluid. It'll become copious. It'll start to fall out of you when you sit on the toilet. Uh, in your underwear, you'll stop seeing that white strip and you'll see a wet spot it'll be filled with water. And the most uh, fertile fluid that you can possibly have is considered an egg white fluid. It's uh, stretchy in your fingers, it's clear, it's wet, it's slippery. Personally, I call mine slick. I don't necessarily observe the uh, stretching, but I'm also in recovery of my own. So I may not even have the optimal cervical fluid right at this point in my fertile life, but I do get the pattern from dry to wet, and the wetness is very slick in my hands. Or if I'm pulling toilet paper over my vulva, I'll feel it just like basically slide right over it. So those days are your optimal fertile fluid for pregnancy. Um, this kind of fluid is going to be wet and have a lot of water. Um, those days where you're just walking around and you can feel it coming out of you, you definitely are going to start to observe that cycle happening. So after your estrogen levels peak when you ovulate, your cervical fluid is going to change within a few hours because once you ovulate, your estrogen drops sharply. Uh, in your your hormonal chart of the month. So when that estrogen drops, your cervical fluid dries up within even just a few hours because of that drop. So all of the progesterone surges out as your egg is released. And after ovulation, a non-fertile fluid actually forms a plug to stop more sperm from coming because now the egg is living, lived and died and it's ready to, to be gone in just two weeks or so. So your body will follow this pattern. It will be dry, it'll get a little bit stickier and creamier, then you're going to hit your slick wet fluid in your fertile window right as you ovulate, and then you're going to basically be dry for the rest of the month. And it's really taught me a lot about pop culture and the way that we think about 
women being wet and what this all means culturally. I, I just think it's so fascinating that women are supposed to be wet all the time because once you learn fertility awareness, you learn that that makes absolutely no sense. And also that that your cervical fluid has a purpose. You know, it's not random. It really does follow a cycle. And if it doesn't follow a cycle or it follows an irregular cycle, it's telling you something else about your hormonal balance. It's telling you something else about your vitality and your general health. So all of those things can be discussed. But that's the basics of cervical fluid. The second method is tracking your basal body temperature. And this one has been my favorite and pretty much remains my favorite because I'm kind of a nerd. And you're looking at a chart. You're looking at a fucking dot line chart. It's fun. So pre-ovulatory waking temperatures can range within the high 96s to low 97 degree range. That can change if you have a thyroid problem like myself. People with super low temperatures, you definitely have a hypothyroid issue happening and people with abnormally high temperatures have a hyperthyroid thing happening. So it can tell you a great deal about yourself, the waking temperature. But on average, a person's waking temperature should be in the 96 to 97 degree range and your post-ovulatory temperatures will rise to a second plateau. Uh, and that plateau is usually 97.8 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. I should say Fahrenheit for anyone who's not in the U.S. because I'm always confused when I'm listening to podcasts in Canada or wherever and I'm just like, I don't know, 30 what degrees? But anyway, um, those temperatures, your high post-ovulatory temperatures will stay elevated until your next period when they will drop, or they'll stay high if you become pregnant. So within 18 days of ovulation, if you are charting your cycles, you'll know if you're pregnant. How sweet is that? So a fertile person's luteal phase, their post-ovulation phase, is always the same amount of time. Mine's 13 days, give or take, of course, a day. But uh, anybody could be in the range of around 12 to 16 days. If you have a short luteal phase, you could also learn something about yourself. You probably aren't producing enough progesterone. So there's, again, so much to be gained by tracking your temperature. I just listed off like three different things. And that isn't even the birth control part, which is the part that I got into this for. So the reason why your temperature rises, the symptothermal method is what they call it, uh, is because of the rise of progesterone. Before you ovulate, you really don't have much progesterone floating around in your body. Once the egg is released, there's a surge of it and it will remain for the post-ovulation phase. And then it will drop again when you start to bleed or it will stay high if you are indeed pregnant. And that progesterone has a purpose to helping the zygote get situated and whatnot. So when you see your temperature rise, you've already ovulated. The egg has already lived and probably died seeing it only lives for 12 to 24 hours. So by the time you're waking up and taking your temperature and you see that huge rise on your chart, you're like, oh, shit, I ovulated for sure. The ovulation's already happened by that point. So you're like, I'm in the free zone. This is great. And, of course, women can sometimes send a second or even a third egg out. Like, 
on if there's too much hormone uh, that stimulates ovulation, there can actually be like a couple eggs can come out. So I give myself three days as a conservative, three days after I've seen sustained high temperatures in my chart. So the key with this is not to look at your day to day because you're gonna, it's going to look like a heartbeat a little bit. It's gonna go up and down a little bit. So you're not going to see a perfect, you know, algorithmic graph or anything. You're gonna see a trend though, a trend of low and then a spike and then a trend of high and then a dip back down to low when you bleed and then you stay low and then you're gonna go up again. So you'll start to look at this overall pattern and not your day-to-day -day differences in temperature. Like today I was 96.63 and the next day I was 97.18. That is not significant enough for you to say from day to day, I've ovulated or not. You're really looking at the whole chart. And that's why when you get started with this, you really wanna track your temperatures for at least 30 days before you really get a sense of what the chart actually looks like. Because a half completed chart looks very confusing, it does. Once you see the whole thing together, it really starts to make sense. So that is the real advantage of using this particular method. If you're tracking your temperatures, you really should be able to see if you ovulate late. I ovulate on anywhere from day 14 to day 17. So I really do have to keep track every day so that on this particular month, I know whether or not it's a fertile day that day. And I know when my temperature has spiked and sustained that I, you know, I have uh, passed ovulation. So you're going to want a basal body thermometer. That's something that is going to track to the hundredth degree. So you're going to get a really accurate read, more accurate. You can't just use a regular old uh, I'm sick thermometer for your basal body temperature. Because really what we're talking about is a spike, but it's a spike of one degree. So it's really in, you know, in terms of temperature, it's not very much, but in terms of the graph, it is significant and it is clear. So basically you're gonna wake up and before you get up or put your feet on the ground or go to the bathroom or anything like that, you're gonna just put the, the thermometer in your mouth. Some people say wait 10 minutes with it in your mouth before actually clicking the button to record when you're like first waking up and groggy. I actually just pop it in my mouth, give it a second to really warm up. It's really to acclimate the, the thermometer to the internal temperature of the body. And I usually give it, you know, 10 seconds, throw it on. And then 30 seconds later, it's reading me my temperature. A lot of them will record previous temperatures or a lot of them will um, give you the last temperature that you had if, if you want to check it later in the day and record it on your app. One thing I should mention with the, the cervical fluid as well as the temperature, I use Clue currently, the Clue app, which is an amazing app and has helped me through my transition and my hormonal imbalance. And it's really, I am so appreciative of the developers and anybody who's interested in reproductive technology, being able to help women and help people in general. Um, so for that and so I use Clue. I know other people use Kindara, which is another very scientific app. So check those out. Um, and I use them to track my temperature and to record my cervical fluid information because 
It has helped me really organize the information. I would definitely say that women have been practicing this for a very long time, but the ability for us now with what we have in front of us, it's just right there. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I'm, I feel like I'm my own scientist. I'm observing my daily signs. And this one is particularly diagnostic because it is a chart. And that is something that it, you know, it'll be very clear different issues that you possibly have in your life just by looking at this chart. You could be really stressed out and cause your ovulation to be delayed and you would see it in your chart. So you, you, would never, you would never have sex on the wrong day if you were using it for birth control, if you're using this method. It's just too much in the chart. So those two are really, those are the chunk of it. That is fertility awareness right there. Now there's a third sign, which is also very fascinating, um, and that is cervical position. Now this one is definitely, I would say, takes the most time to get a handle on because most women are not really touching their cervixes or having much contact with understanding uh, what the cervix is doing inside of you. It's sort of this thing that, you know, holds the, holds the entrance to the universe, right? That's what it is, the gates, the cervix. But, you know, we don't have a real relationship with it to know that it's moving up and down inside of us. And it's pretty much, it's pretty free also in the abdomen, I've learned recently. Like, the egg, when it bursts out of the ovary, there's nothing, t there's nothing holding it. It's, it's bursting out into the abdominal cavity, and your fallopian tube is floating there, catching it like a perfect mitt. Like, this shit is just wild. So, <laughs> with that said, <laughs> cervical position, you'll notice that, like, some days you can get your back blown out, and you're like, this shit feels amazing. I could do this all day. And then on other days, you're like, holy shit, um, I can't handle this. I'm going to run into the ground over here. So the reason for that is because your cervix is moving up and down in your vagina every month. Uh, they're normally, for most of the month, they're firm. Like the tip of your nose is how they describe it. Uh, and right, you know, at certain times where I've observed it, it's been more like hard like a rock. Like, you can feel it. It is this node that, to me, personally, it resembles a penis. The way that it feels, the slit, is like, just like a penis. I'm just, it, it, ha it has remarkable similarities. And, except it's the opposite, because it's hard when it's infertile. And when it's soft, it's fertile. Which I find, again, very fascinating. So... They're normally low in the vagina, and this is when the cervix is closed. So you'll feel that, like I said, hard as a rock or tip of the nose sort of hard cartilage feeling. If you reach for it, I have to use my middle finger because my fingers are so tiny I can barely get up there even when it's low and closed. And I'll feel for it with my two middle fingers sort of in like a curled position, sort of with my legs over my head is the easiest on the bed. And I'll be able to feel around for it. And if I feel and observe that it's hard, it's likely that I'm either have my period, 
have just finished my period and am, am infertile, or after I've ovulated and I know that my waking temperatures are high, I don't have any cervical fluid, I'll feel it again You know, before I'm going to get my next cycle, it'll be hard again. But what will happen in your fertile window is that cervix will actually rise up into your vaginal cavity, almost as if it's like, yeah, there, I'm going to make more room in here. We want it to be comfortable for the penis is going to come and fuck this shit up for us. So it rises and it also softens and it opens and it allows for the fertile process to happen, which is really just, I, it's so miraculous that it does this. So the comparison with the tip of the nose when it's fertile, when you're in your ovulation week, when you're in your fertile window, you're going to feel something more like the, the tip of your lips. Like you're going to feel soft, jelly, like you'll feel that it's, it's remarkably softer than, and harder to get to. Like I said, I have small fingers and like when I'm ovulating, I usually can't even get up there. Like I can barely, I have to have my partner feel for me. And that's a whole other fun side to this. <laughs> um, because then I'm just getting fingered and let's go. Like we're going to have to 69 that night anyway. <laughs> so your cervical position is really simple. You're basically, if you check your cervix every day, you're going to feel it go from hard to soft in the middle of the month as you approach ovulation. And then after you ovulate, it drops back down, it hardens up, and it's closed for business until you get your period. So after you put all of this together, you have a pretty distinct corroboration between three signs that will tell you this is when I've ovulated this month, and it will also tell me when to prepare to to bleed, which is another great thing about it. It really takes away so much of the guessing in fertility, and I feel like it's a scientific window. It's observable signs, and I feel very close to myself uh, through this process, and I think this is great for people who are trying to get pregnant. It's great for those who are trying not to, people who are suffering from infertility, instead of going through all of these medical interventions, you really could start here and it could be helpful. So I just, I've found so much knowledge and so much insight through tracking these three signs uh, throughout the month. And this is the basics of, of how you do it uh, day to day. So you might know if you didn't ovulate that month or if you have PCOS and you have a lot of, you know, your chart's going to look very different if you have PCOS. So I just think it's really changed the game for me because uh, when I started this process, I was having 45 and 49-day cycles. I had just come off birth control and my shit was wigging out. It was just not having a good time. Uh nothing was consistent and it's frightening. It's frightening when you think your cycle is supposed to be 28 days and then you get off birth control. They're like, everything's going to go back to normal. And then all of a sudden your cycle is 49 days. Nobody wants that. 
So I don't want that for you. So I'm trying to teach more people, whether you're going through reproductive health problems or you feel very healthy, this method can be helpful to give you not just a picture of your fertility, but really your your whole entire health as as one body and one being. And so that is the basics of fertility awareness. And what I would recommend is that you start charting these signs one at a time. Maybe next month after you get your period, you finish up, you're starting a new cycle, you're feeling good. Maybe just start to write down in one of your apps your cervical fluid every day. And then try that for a month. Try it for two months. On the second month, maybe grab that thermometer at CVS. It's $8. You can do it. And it'll be the last $8 you'll have to spend on birth control, which is also great. It's a very cost-effective method because I was paying $90 when I got on birth control a month. And, yeah, the gyno was pushing that brand name hard, and I was just not experienced enough to realize what was happening um, or who she was working for, rather. But, uh, you know, maybe the second month you go and get that thermometer, try that for a month. Once you feel like, oh, wow, my cervical fluid is copious when I'm seeing this huge spike in my temperature. Well, yeah, exactly. It is. It's supposed to be. And then maybe that third month you're like, all right, I'm going to just finger myself every day and try and see like what the fuck this cervical position thing is up to. And then three months later, in just three months, you'll be so much more educated about yourself and you'll start telling all these people about what you're doing just like I am. So, all right, I think that's it for today. It's been a pleasure talking to myself here, trying to spread the word, and there'll be a lot more coming from the podcast. I definitely want to switch it up, but this one has just seemed like the right one, so I'm going with it. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, share it with someone you love. This concludes episode one of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Until next time, stay up and be well.